They done did it. <laughs> they done did what? The TV preachers. They yeah. just done went and made a worse hell than Dante could ever oh, come up God. with. They introduced the value form to heaven. God is dead, and money, commodities, money prime, and commodities, money, more commodities, is the rule of the land. Um, this is your afterlife. You will be put into commodity production forever, and your body will never tire, and there are no government regulations. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> Just in case you think we're making this shit up. We're also going to work in heaven. Now, that may even sound more like hell to some people, you know, working in heaven. But remember, God created us to be workers. Work was a gift from God before the fall of Adam and Eve. God meant for us to find fulfillment in our work. He's a worker. He created us to be workers. But in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, all of the things that drain the joy out of our work, Bodies that grow tired, strained relationships, government regulations, all those things will be removed, and we're going to enjoy work like God intended us to enjoy. Pretty much every major religion <laughs> is going to have like major theological disagreements with what that fucking TV preacher said. Like, from the Jewish perspective, like, humans weren't created to be workers for God. Like, that is completely against, like, Torah and Halakha. This is completely mm -hmm. against Jewish mysticism, against all our stories, against all our narratives. Like, this does not conform with Jewish understanding of what, of why Adam and Chava were created for. It's not. It's complete, utter nonsense. And I just, from the Jewish perspective, like, I'm sure Doc could give a more... Norse polytheistic perspective on all this. Well, like, you know, the most common afterlife we've got is characterized by not having to work and just getting to rest. And the time when the gods first make the world, everything is at rest. Um, and they're playing with games and stuff. And, you know, even like, I don't know, which circle is it? Dante's hell that you get blown around endlessly by some like great breeze. Um, that that sounds better than this, honestly. <laughs> that just sounds like eternal skydiving. That actually sounds kind of fun. Yeah, like at least you know there's consistency. It's not like you have been sentenced to an eternity of McDonald's. I mean, I used. To... <sighs> I remember people joking about like hell is going to be for like you know people like margaret thatcher and joseph stalin and pol pot they're all going to be made to work an endless shift in the dollar tree um tagging items <laughs> an infinite dollar tree <laughs> and yes. so to adopt that as like your heaven i'm just like do you people have no imagination? How this is deeply diseased. Like I mean, not even Protestants used to believe this. Like, 
all the familiarities that I have, like with what Christian different Christian theologians have said, both like ancient church fathers and you know much newer like Christian theologians, they would call this full on heresy. Because from yeah. their perspective, this is not conformed to the classical Christian understanding of the afterlife. Well, you see, here the thing is, if you join the Super Savers now and slip an extra, you know, a couple thousand dollars to Mr. Reverend Baker over there, you will be able to do something a bit less digni- undignified, like, I don't know, being a real estate agent or something after you croak. Look, all I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, sure that's in there somewhere. Look, all I'm saying is that if somehow these wackos were right, uh, and you know, I don't know, I and I ended up in this afterlife, I would still be Jewish. If that was, if that, if that God that they talk about was the God, I would overthrow God themselves. That is not how. If that, if that actually were how our like metaphysics and our cosmology were. That is something I would have a fundamental disagreement with. Attack and defrone God. Yes, attack and defrone yeah. God. Like let's let's go find Marx and Bakunin down in hell and go abolish God. <laughs> hell is that Marx and Bakunin have to work together. It's mostly hell for Bakunin. <laughs> it, it's like the ultimate buddy cop movie. It's like somebody redid Good Omens, but it's revolutionary. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, like, I don't like Bakunin, so having him, like, have to suffer, like, working with Marx would be amazing. <laughs> exactly. Um, so who's David Tennant playing? D- David Tennant, I'm gonna say he's Kropotchkin. Hmm. Nah, he's too bombastic. Hmm. I, I I'd see him more like as Bakunin because then he's like on top of like their fundamental disagreements. He's I'm being loud s- okay. and boisterous and I, like I know I know everybody that knows me is gonna hate me when I say this, but Tenet should play Lenin. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me I am wrong. <laughs> So, uh, <sighs> welcome to Chop Shop Economics. We read this shit so you don't have to. Mm. Um, I'm Miss Silver. Miss Silver, <laughs> wonderful Miss Silver. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourself? And it's me, your lovely HQ. <laughs> And of course, we have our host, Doc. Doctor Spider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, that wasn't the smoothest, but we can't all win. So, yeah. <sighs> Let's get into our top economic news. God, that's deeply diseased. I don't want to discuss her, but we have to. Don't you want to talk about the girl power? Don't you love her girl boss She's already a gif. Mm Mm-hmm. She's a meme. Yeah, and for all the wrong reasons. 
Uh, we are talking, of course, about the sicko from Arizona, um, Kristen Cinema, who not only downvoted the whole um, 15 minimum wage increase that Sanders tried to force, um, she did it in this very flouncing um, way where she very dramatically put her thumb down. And then she brought cake. Because, you know, irony is dead. And, um... The girl boss, she really said, let them eat cake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. And supposedly it, it was necessary. Like... <laughs> like, the vote was so lopsided against Sanders anyway that even casting the vote wasn't even necessary. But, you know, not only does she do her little end zone dance, she practically fist-bumped Mitch McConnell on the way in. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once upon a time, she was an anti-war Green Party activist, and now she's just... Mm, electoralism, kids. Not even once. Lost for, like, the progressive Dems, the prog Dems. Like, I feel like the big reason why Bernie did this... Not necessarily because he thought that it was going to pass, but more because he wanted to be able to point out that these are the fucking Terminator-faced assholes who are denying you a $15 minimum wage. These are oh, yeah. your literal class enemies. These people do not care about you. <laughs> Especially yeah. not this one. Oh yeah, and when asked for this, I think this is my favorite part of the whole thing. When asked for comment by the Huffington Post, her staff responded that it was quote sexist to be critiquing what a woman in politics does with her body. Like, yeah. I but mean, went, if Joe Manchin you? had done this tasteless dance. I'd be pretty fucking pissed at him, too. I mean, it's like, yeah, I know he was going to be like this, but, you know, at least he didn't fucking end zone dance I, about it. I think I think that's just, like, frustrates about me. And, like, I've recently watched Manx, great movie on, like, on Netflix, one of the best they've ever made. But one of the things that they talk about is the parable, parable of the organ monkey, where the organ monkey you know, thinks that because they are dancing for the man behind, like, you know, they are dancing, like, to this crowd, and, like, that they're very popular, and then there's this man following behind the organ monkey who thinks that they have everything. But during this movie, Hearst says, like, to the main character, Manx, like, you are the organ monkey. You need to cooperate, and you need to work for me. You need to not fuck shit up. But in, like, in this movie, the whole narrative is that it's the organ monkey taking revenge. It's just like, here's the thing. It's if you take, if you, like, this is very much a case of, like, the, how, um, the mo how the movie subverts the whole parable of the organ monkey. If you fuck over the organ monkey repeatedly over and over again, like fucking girl boss cinema here, the organ monkeys will fuck you over. This is a clear case of hubris. Like, if you keep fucking us over, like, do you really think, are you so confident in your power, in your position, that you're going to be able to avoid backlash? Because you're not. 
Like, you think that there's these magic words you can say, like, in response to the backlash, like, oh, this is misogyny, this is patriarchy. Like, you are fucking over women. Like, I fucking hate your girl boss feminism because this is not liberation for all women. This is just liberation for a fucking bourgeois girl boss class that does not care about, you know, women as a whole. Like, you are a literal traitor to your fucking gender. You are a traitor to me, and you are a traitor to every other fucking woman in the United States. And let's be real, if a, you know, Lisa Murkowski or any other Republican woman did the exact same thing, MSNBC would be shitting their pants over it. Wall to wall. Non-stop. And, you know, in the middle of all the noise... We have what might be the next, possibly last, Wall Street bubble. (laughs) Oh, we've been sitting on... Oh, yes. So, basically, a lot of the institutionals, including... um, such venerables as like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs and now City are they're trying to figure out what the next big thing is because it's like even the VC grift is like running out of room to accommodate all the loose money they got to shove under the couch cushions. So what better way to take care of that problem than to dump it all into Bitcoin? Because blockchain technology is clearly the way forward. Um, there's a lot of, you know, heat and light about it on the internet. So obviously, it must be real. And to that effect, some of their um, thought leaders wrote a white paper discussing how they view, like, blockchain technology and bitcoin in particular and they're kind of bullish on it um to be honest i have read a good chunk of the report um i literally read the shit so you don't have to um and the tildeer is basically they see it as like an instrument that can enable like global trade um, more easily because, you know, can't be traced and all that crap. Um, And the big problem is, of course, they see Bitcoin as being at, like, a tipping point. Um, Either, you know, this is literally just a fucking tulip bubble and the whole thing is going to implode spectacularly, or... This is how global finance works now. And everyone is going to have to, every single institutional above a certain size is going to have to start mining coins and participating in blockchain based markets. Um, just so they have a stake and a play. And I mean, there's several problems with that. One of them is that effectively Chinese entities kind of control a lot of that right now, um, followed by Russian entities, because that's where you get cheap power. Um, Like, there... (laughs) And there's only, you know, so many miners produced, there's only, um, 
like, you pretty much have to go through these, like, minor cartels to get the mining machines to do it. Um, there are some coins where you can just, like, set up a farm of GPUs, but Bitcoin is not one of them. Um, GPU mining hasn't worked in years. Um, you will never make your money back. But it does mean that, like, if they get what they want, a lot of institutionals are going to go all in on this. And that would be bad for a whole bunch of reasons. And this isn't just City that's talking about this. Like we covered this, I think, last episode. The <laughs> Bank of New York Mellon, who is like a top 25 Wall Street bank. Like, we're not talking like, you know, Lehman Brothers level, but, you know, mm-hmm. a couple rungs below Lehman. Still significant, and particularly like, you know, it's one of those old financial houses that's seen as nice and stable and reliable, so... You know, they're totally the signal that Wall Street wants to be getting to begin with. That, hey, maybe there's something to this Bitcoin thing. So, this isn't just a city white paper here. This is... Financial players are starting to look at Bitcoin. Yeah. In a big way. Like, I think especially because Tesla pulled that whole thing of issuing valuation in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, And, like, the whole thing is, it's not that they've never looked at it before, it's that up until now they've concluded that, like, the regulatory risk is too great for what you'll get out of it, but things have changed. You may have noticed they are a good bit more desperate, and there have been shifts in the market that could convince the unwary that maybe going all in on this as an institutional makes sense. And that's why the city white paper isn't unique, I should say. Let's get that out of the way. After all, you know, Mellon decided, yeah, we kind of went in on this too. It's more a reflection of this is what the institutionals are thinking. And that's kind of worrying. And it's worth pointing out, if you go back to, like, shit, October 2020, you can find things like a blog entry hosted by the NASDAQ Exchange's official blog, specifically Mm -hmm. going on at length of, this is why Bitcoin is a really, really, really fucking terrible idea, and nobody who's serious about finance should have anything to do with it, because, you know, it has the words bubble, and unsecured, and no actual guaranteed value that anyone is obliged to recognize volatility (laughs) it just is all the things that if you are going into finance and you're like a big institutional player you don't do that if you want to actually make reliable return on investment you just don't so it's like on one hand there is the whole like you know, potential, oh fuck, welcome to Shadowrun-ness of this, of if the financial players who do have fuck god levels of money, let's be clear here, um, and the means to print money at will, effectively, is they could 
potentially swing a big enough deck to turn Bitcoin into their new medium of holding value and effectively slip the surly bonds of fiat currency and enter the realm of where they can just freely shit out money whenever they want and completely control the money supply and complete the privatization of currency. Um, But, you know, this is (laughs) Wall Street. We've seen them do this many times before. And, yeah, like Miss Silver said, they're reeling from COVID, from, you know, watching the oil industry, which is like the bluest of blue chips, eat shit and fucking die. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I can see why they would think that this is a good idea. And... I mean, they also have some interest in Ethereum and Ethereum-based technologies, which is, like, even more worrying because then you start getting into things like smart contracts. And the thing about smart contracts is they aren't very smart. Um, Way back when Ethereum first started, there was this thing called the DAO, um, which is, like, basically this stupid fucking investment vehicle um there was a bug in the code that drove the contract and someone managed to steal 50 million out of it whoops and and, no because wall street being wall street they're going to derivatize and commodify and securitize the hell out of this money because that's what they do like derivatives officially exist as ways of securing and protecting an existing contract. But those contracts now carry their own value, which can then be spun off to create more like High World Wall Street. We wave our hands and say the magic words and money appears, because fuck economics. Um, oh my so you know God. that will happen with yeah. this shit. There won't just be like wall street buying bitcoin there's going to be bitcoin securities and bitcoin futures and bitcoin swaps and bitcoin credit default swaps and just all the things that blew up the economy in 2008 yeah but on bitcoin (laughs) derivatives on every single fucking mining pool in existence um derivatives (sighs) on smart contracts the most like you know, dirty type shit that finance could do. Like, if, if you were to have, like, some fucking, like, comedy special making fun of Wall Street, they would just, they would throw up this scenario because, like, it's obviously completely absurd, but it's just the fact that, like, Wall Street is, you know, is, like, seriously considering doing this shows just how desperate they are right now. Yeah. Yeah. This I mean, really it's is like... on the level of, like, a Dr. Seuss book <laughs> levels of like why I mean it would probably work for the first couple of years we would have this amazing boom and it would solve all of Biden's economic problems because you know the numbers look really good even though 20 million are out of their homes now um, and then it would implode spectacularly because <laughs> some fuckhead wrote a contract wrong or you know a a server went down in china or 
some oh, other minor fucking bullshit. Miss Silver, this is literally an example of the paperclip maximizer problem. Yes! <laughs> I don't think they'll have years. That's the thing. I don't think they'll have years. I think it's going to be a lot faster than that because a lot of their... Like, oh no, I was talking like two or three. A couple of, I, I was, I'm not even thinking that. Maybe a year. Tops. Because like, the housing bubble was happening while most of the real economy was still kind of somewhat functional. Here, the real economy has like shot the bed quite completely. And all that like reserve capacity that Wall Street's used to having is not there anymore. <laughs> so there were this like really kind of I mean on one hand it could be some creepy ass shadow run shit, but I I think this is more like they're pulling their pants off and are throwing them on the table for one last spin. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean it's like yeah, that was that estimate I gave, you know, two free years, that was on the outside. Um it'll probably implode in a year. Unless if the Chinese government is like yeah, let's let's just fuck up the U.S. and seize control of the mining pools because they could absolutely fucking do that, and there would be nothing anyone could do to stop them. Like they, the institutionals don't appreciate the risk of how the current mining pool structure works. And like, here's like the here's the nightmare scenario that comes to my mind. Like, let's say hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I were an established miner um, who has, like, you know, been basically making sure I have as much power as possible for, like, my mining farm um, and trying to, and, you know, very powerful computers in order to mine as much as possible. And, you know, we mm-hmm. have, you know, the big brain people of Wall Street suddenly coming in thinking, like, oh, I'm going to get in on this. Like, if I were an established miner, what I would do personally is I would hire, you know, I would pay out of the wazoo as many as hackers as possible to attack the electrical infrastructure where these rival hack, where these rival miners are setting up their up their operations. Like this could actually start up, you know, an electronics arms race, and that's really scary to me because it creates incentives to destroy for mutually assured and destruction of our electrical infrastructure oh god yeah Um, yeah speaking of total collapse of electrical infrastructures Uh, i think i hear a bell ringing (laughs) plague news (laughs) oh texas so far from god so close to greg abbott So, it's so exciting. They want to open up Texas 100% and completely end the statewide mask mandate. They have ended it already. Like, you don't have to wear a mask anywhere in Texas. Some of the chains have even jumped on and been like, yeah, yeah, you don't need to wear a mask anymore. Um, some haven't, obviously, because those uh, policies are driven, um, at the national level, or transnational level, but, um, 
yeah, don't go to H-E-B for a while. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it's, and all businesses are being reop- allowed to reopen to 100% capacity. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, Texas has not even had a week to, you know, repair the, like, billions of dollars of property damage that were inflicted by the recent winter storms. Um, You know, things like burst pipes and people's homes being completely flooded and, like, critical infrastructure for sustaining uh, damage they're not ready for. You know, all the little things that make these things like modern society work. Um, Oof. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Oh my god. It's so... It is so fucked. And they're like, well, uh, Abbott was kind of like, well, you know, we're vaccinating and there's declines in hospitalizations, even though the numbers, even at the time, were not that great because the decline in hospitalizations was starting to kind of level off. I mean, it's like... This is bad policy, but I mean, Abbott. Abbott obviously doesn't want to talk about the fucking disaster anymore, like at all. And so he threw this out like a, a fucking week ago to say, "Yeah, um, here you go, you pigs." Ugh, it's I, yeah. This is just on top of the existing damage that's already there. This Mm -hmm. is just the most why even. Like, there's no way vaccine distribution has been able to recover to sufficient levels when, you know, people are still doing things like, you know, getting new clothes and like, replacing entire wardrobes and, you know, appliances and shit, assuming they have the money to do that. If they don't, they're probably just kind of fucked. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's just... What the fuck are you even supposed to do? And I don't... I don't know. I think this whole thing is just... It's... It's gonna be a disaster. Are we still talking it, about Texas? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So what? It's, yeah. So we we have a rare we have a rare guest on the show. Um, yeah, I, this I'm very excited to bring Mickey Mouse on the show to interview because there's some very exciting news coming out of Anaheim. <laughs> Mickey Mouse, what do you have to say? What do people have to do for Mickey? Well, everyone, it's now time to go out and die for Mickey. Time to give up your unworthy lives so the Mickey Mouse and Disneyland can continue to be the happiest places on Earth. <laughs> but Mickey, don't, doesn't each person have an inherent right and worth of, to life? Uh-huh. That's some silly commie trash. What are you talking about? 
So are, are you saying that you support Ayn Rand's ideology, Mickey Mouse? I'm just looking out for what's best for the mouse, and what's best for me is for you to go to Disneyland and get that COVID. Mickey, just this is a very personal question. I'm very curious. Are you a bloodthirsty god demanding the sacrifice of many people to die? Well, why would you ever assume that? reasons <laughs> but to get out of this little skit for a second it's, oh god governor fucking Newsom, why the fuck did you have to do this fucking bullshit yeah jesus instead of going hey people are trying to recall me so let's give people aid checks though he is kind of trying to do that a little bit sort of mm-hmm well, doing there. nothing to stop, you know, well, doing nothing to stop mass layoffs from state agencies and community colleges and, you know, not in a state where the UC system is the largest employer, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, um, I didn't even think about that. <sighs> you know, the little things. Um, he instead is allowing stadiums and theme parks to reopen starting in April. Well, it was it was nice knowing you, California. It was really nice. And in San Francisco, like, London Breed is just approved indoor dining at 25% capacity. Again? Uh-huh. <sighs> I- so, yeah. Even the vaccination rate again. I feel like at this point, like, I am really fucking tired with, like, anti-vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and anti-masters and fucking, like, bloodthirsty corporations driving, like, our response to COVID-19, guiding the policy response. So at this point, my full recommendation is we need pro-masker, pro-vaccination, like, protests going on. Because the state governments are clearly incompetent. The local governments are clearly incompetent. The federal government is clearly incompetent. If This is a, so, a major social and economic issue that where, like, our, gran- our grandparents are being threatened. Our, like, you know, our, like, our children, our students are being threatened. Everybody, our disabled people in our society are being threatened. People of color are being threatened. There is a major risk of life. And this is a matter of pikuach nefesh, to preserve life itself. That is the single guiding principle of Judaism. So my recommendation is, it is safe to protest as long as you, you know, wear a mask and, you know, keep some social distancing in mind. Like, I full-on recommend pro-masker and pro-vaccination protests right now. Because it's gotten Mm. out of control. Like, we have to treat this like we have to, like, you know, deplatforming... Deplatforming fascists. We have to treat this like we are have to de- deplatform these corporations and anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, mm. because they are a threat to life itself within the United States right now and a lot of other people. <sighs> oh, God. 
yeah, this shit is just... And let's remember, this is coming from Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom, the guy who was just in line behind uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, who, on top of, you know, disregarding experts and saying he doesn't trust experts, now turning out, oh, wait... He's a politician in the United States. Of course, he did lots of sexual harassment at the end. Um, the These are the folks who were getting the lion's share of the praise from the press in the past mm. year for how they've handled their COVID response. And now they're doing, like, they're pushing for stuff that is, like, because, you know, Cuomo's also pushing to, like, force the reopening of public schools. Damn the consequences. It's, it doesn't fucking matter which party it is. They're owned by the same bloodthirsty interests who figured out under the shit show that was 2020, actually, yeah, we can kind of coast on this whole letting hundreds of thousands of people fucking die for the bottom line for a while. Hmm. Like, contrary like, on to that level, opinion? they fundamentally don't matter. Um, there's not a fundamental difference between the two parties yes. when it comes to that. Like, it's a question of how quickly you're going to die. And I, the, it's not a debate over whether or not you should fucking die of COVID. Or be able to survive this by giving, like, monthly checks or the things that every other fucking country managed to do. And contrary to the popular, to the, the, you know, the top-down for enforced consensus of both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, you in fact are not obligated to die for the free free market fairy. There is no obligation. You can preserve your life and your family's life and your friends' lives. Mm. They want you to die, but fuck them. <laughs> Honestly, fuck them. Yeah. 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 Fuck them. Which gets us nicely to some folks who are doing that in Alabama right now. And how massively Amazon is shitting their pants. Because oh we got more <laughs> from Slate on just the straight-up Looney Tunes bullshit that Jeff Bezos' people have been doing in Bessemer, Alabama. Mm. Like, who wants to take this like straight up like CIA trying to kill Castro shit <laughs> away I feel like if we had Helen here she would be good for this but um can you I, I can probably can you just, like explain what's going on and I can just maybe inject some chaos into this oh yeah so we've got like on top of, you know, the thing we previously reported on where Amazon was caught literally fucking with the street lights in Bessemer, Alabama, because they found out that union organizers were using time at traffic stops while carpooling to recruit other members and talk to them about joining the union, um, Amazon, you know, in their, in, like, ineffable wisdom decided to, like, pressure the town to fuck with the traffic lights to reduce the length of stops along the main routes to and from the distribution center. But now they're taking it to the level of near daily text messages, mandatory anti-union meetings, like like plastering up vote no signs in bathroom stalls, 
Um, they're even trying to ban mail-in ballots for the union votes. Like... <sighs> so, uh, Doc, I know you have, like, eight legs that you don't like to talk about, but... Um, I want to point out something here. This 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 sounds like some like super villain Lex Luthor type of shit here. Like this is, I feel like I'm seeing forty cakes, you know, being stolen in front of my eyes. Forty <laughs> cakes by Jeff Bezos. Actually, you know what I just realized? Jeff Bezos kind of looks like Lexi. Also, apparently, Amazon has fired their uh, troll farm back up. Um, the FC ambassadors. <laughs> um, they were the ones who managed to successfully wreck the um, <coughs> the unionization effort in New York City uh, for Amazon's retail workers. And apparently they are now trying to push the line that um, you can, in fact, do it without dues. Even though none of these fucking people are anywhere near the Bessemer facility. And some of this stuff is like, nobody talks like this. Like, it feels just... like, you know, all of this crap is just, like, astroturf bullshit. And, like, this is the most, like, blatantly illegal shit that I have seen, mm-hmm. like, Amazon doing, and they've been doing this for a long time. But the fact is, oh, yeah. like, we are under the Biden administration right now, and, like, there are many reasons to dislike the Biden administration, but there has been a major reorientation on labor policy. That, as we've said before, Biden is the most progressive president on labor since LBJ. I mean, except for teachers, but and that's a whole thing on its own. But except for teachers, like you know, the Biden administration's not going to tolerate this fucking bullshit because this is like the most illegal shit ever. Like these fuckers have even hired the fucking Pinkertons, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, they're really going out all, all out on this. And, you know, it's like we mentioned before, if the union workers succeed there, they control a critical distribution node for Amazon's empire. So, yeah. you know, good luck to them. It'll really put the squeeze to these guys. Like, I, my personal recommendation is, like, if, you, if you're listening to this, like, if you have, like, do whatever you can to support the uni- the unionization of these workers out the, like at this particular facility because this is essential to the labor movement right now. It is essential that we must win. Like this is going to have mm-hmm. a huge impact and could lead to many workers at Amazon being able to unionize. Yeah. So do I mean, whatever it's... you can to support <laughs> the labor organizing at this facility. It is essential that they must win. A wound to one is a wound to all. Solidarity mm. for fucking ever. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's like, they are they are pulling out all the stops. And they are desperate. Because if you can organize a union in the fucking Birmingham metro area, um then 
you can do it pretty much anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you can do it pretty much anywhere. And Amazon, no doubt, is terrified about that because the only times they've had to accept unions into uh, into their workplaces is because, like, they literally can't get away with it in Europe. Um, whereas here, you know, unions don't exist. Yeah. For another odd labor-related one, though, it's kind of shows the flip side of where things are going mm-hmm. inside the political mess. The entire professional staffer uh, like all of the professional staffers for the Nevada Democratic Party have just walked off the job. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because the DSA just cleaned the Reed Machine's clock in state elections and took control of the state executive board. Yeah. <sighs> they were um uh, they did a few things to like sabotage things on the way out, like redirect funds to the DSCC. But also, um, it turns out that what they were mad about was that they would have to reveal, like, you know, just how many um, consultants and shit they had on their payroll, not even for like services. Like, these were, like, zero-service retainer contracts um, so that, you know, they can basically get a guy who, you know, has $600 jeans to tell you why you're not allowed to have health care, actually. The amount of corruption is hilarious. Yeah, this is arguably part of why you could say a lot of the usual suspects like James Carville and the Democratic Party lined up hard behind Joe Biden is because, you know, Bernie coming into control of the party would probably have actually seen shit like this happen. Mm. Because among other things, you know, the Sanders campaign totally didn't run on a lot of that stupid graft bullshit that tapes most of the Democratic Party together, and they knew it. And the same beers are kind of at the heart of this here. These are people who are flipping their shit over the they are being potentially rendered obsolete because they're useless. Yeah. Like like they're legitimately fucking useless. <laughs> <laughs> like they really really want to preserve consultancies because part of it is because like well, you know, I put in my years and then I get to be one of these $600 gene losers um, because I know who to speak to to get me a retainer contract for zero services for like, you know, (laughs) $500,000. I feel like a big part of this too is that like, this has basically been like a whole like major facet of the Democratic Party for a while and probably for the Republican Party too is that it's basically this like, patronage network full of corruption that oh yeah mostly exists for what's that word sign cures is that how you pronounce it miss silver because i feel like you've talked about sign cures like can you define what that is (sighs) basically 
It's a position where you don't have to do anything. You just get paid for it. So you get um, to wear fancy jeans and get paid $500,000 a year? Basically, with um, a sinecure, you're paid to be on retainer. Um, and you're not expected to do very much. But when they need you, they really fucking need you. Um, and it's usually for some ghoul shit, like, you know, telling workers that, no, actually, you don't need universal health care. What you got is fine. Um, no, unions, you don't really need unions. Um, and, you know, the unions that do exist, like the culinary union, they need to be like business unions. They need to be in tune with the needs of business. And all of this builds up to a lot of people taking a lot of money for not very much value in the first place. And in the second place, they're like actively fighting against the things that we want. So, I mean, obviously we were going to shit can a lot of these people because you don't need that many. I mean, they handed out a lot of these fucking things. And... <laughs> I yeah, remember this. Yeah, yeah. They got shit on the line. And it's like, what they were afraid of is that, like, a lot of this would be, you know, just straight up exposed. And... Obviously, they don't fucking like that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's basically what it is. They <laughs> they want to keep the gravy train. <clears throat> oh yeah. The thing that like, cracks me up about all this is that like they could have easily avoided this scenario, like. And gotten back control of the party if they had, like, not thrown a tantrum here and, like, quit in mass. Because, like, look at Corbin. Look at what new labor did to a resurgent old labor. It could, they could have easily done the same thing here to Nevada, just constantly sabotage them as much as possible. But funnily enough, like, this tantrum that they have meant that de facto the DSA is in control of the Nevada Democratic Party. Like, we have the first progressive Democratic Party in the United States at the state level, but that is a huge step. And I'm not saying that, like, this is because, like, the DSA is the vehicle for liberation. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But it's a, it's a, a sign of the times the le that the street left is resurgent, it is militant, it is organizing, it is having more and more influence, that electoral politics is, you know, having to be the tail following the dog. <laughs> and so, also, it's like a thumb in the eye of all the, the fucking assholes who defeated Sanders and doomed us to a thousand years of Republican darkness. Like, yeah, these people had it fucking coming. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of then takes us from just the shit that's going on at that level to what we're seeing now happening in the worlds of finance beyond mm. the Bitcoin shit. <sighs> Starting with Green Cell. Green Cell. 
So, an obscure supply chain insurance company is... Things are popping off. (laughs) Do you mean like the furniture is falling out of the truck or something? Mm. Well, and it's like... Is that what you mean by popping off? Yeah, and part of it is like... Like, um, for instance, uh, there's a steel company in the UK that is exposed, um, that they're one of the few companies that can still, um, you know, make raw steel and raw aluminum in the UK. So, like, that's kind of a national security thing. (laughs) And these big fuckers just blew it up. (sighs) <sighs> it's all I can yeah. say is God bless the pig fuckers this is yeah anyone who wants to think Wall Street is somehow okay which you know JP Morgan seems to think you know nothing wrong here nothing to see here and yeah speaking of Morgan <laughs> <laughs> Seems like the House of Morgan is busy having to go. No, we swear everything's fine. Mm. Trust us. Would we lie to you? Oh yeah. So they put out this big old video uh, on CNBC with one of their talking heads that they're like, no, actually, all these uh, non-performing loans are fine because, like. You know, something something Asian debt sector and the Chinese banks are fine actually. So we're not we're not worried about global finance because because reasons. We swear. Yeah, I mean it's like it's not that I was unable to follow his argument. It's just he wasn't. Saying anything, Miss Silver. Miss Silver, like... you, you, you seem to <laughs> misunderstand a fundamental point. Repeat after me: There is no financial crisis in Wall Street. There is, there no, is no financial, financial crisis, crisis, crisis in Wall Street. In Wall Street. Wall Street. <laughs> there is no financial, no crisis, financial crisis in Wall Street. <laughs> Whenever things get a little hectic, things start to seem out of control, you know, Mm -hmm. when it seems like the economy is about to collapse, just repeat that to yourself. There's no financial crisis in Wall Street. And if that doesn't work, you can say, well, the Chinese banks are fine, so there is no financial crisis. And our global positions will be just fine. We might have to take a little L on our American positions, but our international positions will be just fine. (sighs) Nothing to worry about there. No. Just, you know, a major Wall Street bank. (laughs) You know, the little things. Um, but, like, seriously, I mean, I feel like Doc would be the best person to say why there's a lot to worry about right now and why J.P. Morgan has their heads stuck up 
their ass right now. Well, I don't think it's that they have their heads stuck up their ass, but the same things that have Wall Street going, hey, maybe this steaming radioactive goat shit called Bitcoin isn't such a bad idea. Like, a lot of those same things are still in play. And there's no guarantee that, you know, the steaming radioactive goat shit is going to somehow save Wall Street this time. Um, In fact, we're pretty sure it won't. Because, you know, everything else is melting the fuck down. So, yeah, yeah, this is, I don't think this is like, you know, JP Morgan actually saying, don't worry, we're going to be fine. This is JP Morgan, like, very, very talking really fast and going to their shareholders, please don't bail out of the burning airplane. We swear it can still fly. Yeah. Don't worry, we'll be landing soon. You can exit your positions and buy new ones at the plane waiting on the tarmac. <laughs> Pay no attention to the gremlin on the on the wing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, let's say at no, minimum... No, Langoliers here. <laughs> let's just say, like, you know, somehow they managed to make it work. Let's say, you know... The economy here gets absolutely out of control, which it probably is. But let's say they manage to exit their positions and you know and reestablish themselves in like other countries outside the United States. Like at minimum, that would mean that there would be a huge amount of capital flight from the United States. Like that would be very bad. It's already happening. But it would intensify. Mm. It would go from a trickle to like a flood. Hmm. Which, you know, won't be great for anyone left here, but hey, you know, that's capitalism, right? And speaking of, we have sort of the opposite going on with a recent OPEC Plus conference on pricing and production. Mm. So it, yeah, it kind of seems like they've realized that here in the United States, we've kind of taken the L and nobody wants a repeat of negative $37. So it's time to start supporting the prices. Or at the very least, not force the issues again. Yeah. Like this is pretty like, because going into 2020, the whole like dick grinding contest between Russia and Saudi Arabia started because the Saudis had lost market share to the Russians, so they did what they normally do to regain market share, which is go, hi, we have fuck you amounts of cheaply produced and purchased oil, so we're just going to outproduce you until your eyes pop. The end. Um, except Russia didn't play along, and Russia was like, um, no, fuck you. We also have fuck you amounts of oil, and we can't afford to lose this fight. Mm-hmm. So then it was a question of market share versus market share. Now they both lost market share because of this. Both of them took it on the chin. And most importantly, they consistently took it on the chin from alternative sources of energy, particularly renewables. Like this wasn't a case of, one managed to actually achieve any of what they were seeking over the other. This is, they both tried, they both lost badly. 
And now they're recognizing, you know what? We really don't have a choice but to at least not try to kill each other right now. Because mm-hmm. they now have an act. There's an existential threat to what they do now called green energy and climate change. Yeah, exactly. But my question is how long can they maintain this temporary white peace? I think the fact that they seem to be doing it because renewables are now cheaper than uh, coal and natural gas and are on their way to being cheaper than oil is going to probably keep them from doing anything really stupid for a while because they now have a common existential threat, particularly when you're talking the Russians and the Saudis whose entire like political systems depend on oil money continuing to flow because otherwise shit would just completely fall apart in both cases Mm. so this is I think it could actually hold up for a while and I think it is a symptom of how precarious the position is for oil generally and that we're really approaching the end of fossil fuels and the end of the carbon age. Yeah. I mean, this is... (laughs) It's pretty much over, but the... Except for the screaming and the dying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like... And we talked about this before, how, you know, petrochemicals are not going to, like magically replace all of the demand loss and on top of that like because of what's happened in the united states well there's very little that non-opec producers can do to force prices down should they want to and so yeah it looks like oil has recovered but that's because we're not producing as much. It's they're basically doing a supply squeeze to bring the number back up and betting correct probably correctly that like shale exploitation in the United States isn't going to be able to just start up again on a dime. Especially not when they've all been the ones eating shit the hardest out of any element of the fossil fuel. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They've been taking it and they've been being told that they gotta love it because this is what daddy's doing now. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's why we're back up to like $70 a barrel. It's not because... Uh, It's not because, you know, the oil sector has magically recovered here. It's because other countries have decided through the OPEC system to artificially gate production so that the price is supported. And there is nothing the U.S. can do about it now. (laughs) And there was also that, you know, little ice storm in Texas that completely took a gigantic (laughs) shit on Texas's oil refining transport and production capabilities. A huge chunk of the United States, like, oil processing 
is done in Texas. Like, that pretty much had to shut down, which was a huge blow, which, that was a huge, huge blow to the American oil industry. And, like, trying to shut down, like, refineries quickly is not something you just casually do because you can cause serious damage to a refinery by just shutting it down. Like, I mean, I've read about this before. Like, shutting down a refinery is, like, it is a long process if you want to avoid damaging the refinery. Especially yeah. because refineries and oil wells and all that other shit are designed to be constantly in operation. Yeah. They're not supposed to stop. They're never supposed to stop. Ideally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is those words that we've been using throughout 2020, permanent loss capacity. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening here. Yeah. So the fact is peak oil has come and gone. And we are we are on the downhill now, going towards renewable energy. And as Doc said, there's nothing but the screaming and dying now. Yeah. I mean it's like the good news is that we didn't have peak oil leading to Mad Max. Um like the the fears that like you know people my age heard as like a teenager and into you know their early 20s it's like a lot of that stuff didn't come to pass like things didn't go up up you know total apocalypse resource wars um because they didn't need to we it's not that we're out of the woods yet. It's that we have a pretty decent shot of making it out. Um, whereas if like things had just collapsed in the early 2000s, then, well, this podcast would be very, very fucking different. If it existed at all. <laughs> this, would have, this podcast would not technically have been a podcast. It would have been us around the fire, shooting the shit, eating cold beans. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. But yeah, so this is gonna... They know they're backed into a corner. And, you know, this is just as we're starting to see more of that kind of, oh, those are bad things news coming down the pike. Yeah. So speaking of commodity prices, uh, we just talked about oil. Is something happening with uh, food right now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You um, can say that. <laughs> so, basically, the CPI um, for the month of January rose... 3.7% um, from a year ago. Um, that's the normal um, cost of food in at home uh, tends to increase by a mere 1.4%. So, you know, staying in check with overall inflation, 
this isn't that. Things are kind of fucked. And yeah, it's just... There's a whole fucking supply chain disaster because uh, basically a bunch of containers got parked in like South America and Africa um, in places that, you know, they normally wouldn't be. There is now a shortage of containers, um, especially for commodities like this. Um in the system and like that's having knock-on effects everywhere in the supply chain yeah you're completely right and another part of this too is that like for a lot of these uh these shipping companies what they've done in the past is once they came into the port uh they would usually like load up with like with grains with food with like other different things um like this was a big part of like of how like the global trade system used to work but what has happened is it is now like more profitable for once they drop off the goods that they've delivered from like across the pacific into the united states it's more profitable for them just to drop it off and then speed back all the way back across the pacific in order to pick up new things to like trade because like it's just fundamentally it is it makes them more money to like be these like rapid um like what are this like these like rapid shipping container delivery systems rather than transporting food like yeah. this is part of a big problem here and meanwhile you got ships um basically in holding patterns in um los angeles basically just fucking parked there because the ports are running so far behind on unloading because there aren't enough containers. And it's not just containers. I mean, like it's also like the, the workers, there's just not enough workers right now because there's a fucking like death plague right now. And like these workers do not want to die for free market fairy. Yeah. So that's, yeah. And, you know, it's not like food supply issues ever caused any problems for the stability of governments. Like, certainly not as recently as 2011 in Mm -hmm. certain parts of the world. Oh, yes. Certainly not. Yeah, and, like, we touched on this, like, you know, before, but... We also have like a, a growing agricultural crisis within the within the United States and the Midwest because of like topsoil erosion, like, fun, like yeah. in every possible way that our like our food logistical system can be fucked up, it's getting fucked up. Oh yes, so, you know, <laughs> canned food's always nice. And I guess that really kind of brings us to our last word. Yeah, I, I think that kind of summarizes our year. <laughs> yeah, and it's not going to be changing. We all went into lockdown in the U.S. a year ago, and it's progressively just gotten worse. 
this all can really be summed up by what you said earlier, Doc. Like, except for the screaming and the dying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm just... At this point, I'm pretty much stuck. Um, my... I have tried over and over to restart um, my prediction machine and the only thing it's telling me is nobody's in charge try again later (laughs) so I don't know what to tell you people I'm sorry (laughs) I mean all I can say is that like we don't say this to panic you, to make you worry. We say this so you can have a clear understanding of what is going on. Because a lot of this information, like mm-hmm. when we talk about the financial stuff, we read this shit so you don't have to. We say that because, like, a lot of this information is stuff that the bourgeoisie has been working on for, has been working with for a long time, and they've never wa- they've always wanted to keep like the pores from having this information. Like, the reason why we get this information is so you understand what is happening so that you and all of us can do something about it. Like, power flows from our hands, working together, because we can stop this. We have to organize. Like, look Mm -hmm. to, you know, like, your local street left. Look to mutual aid networks. Like, look to labor organizing. Look to all of this. Like, there is a... Like, we can build a better world in the ashes of the old, but we ha- in order to be able to do that, we have to fundamentally understand what is going on in the world. Like, we can't be, like, we can't be, like, the Greek philosopher's ostrich. We can't just put our head in the dirt, because if we do that, we're not going to see the train coming to hit us on the train tracks. Mm. And let's be clear about this. Like, when we're talking about this kind of, like, very very alarming shit across the board. <laughs> this is stuff that is directly because we have a hyper-capitalist society. This is, there are other countries that have certainly suffered significant losses from COVID-19 and economic dislocation and disruption, like Germany, for example, at time of recording has seen 50,000 deaths and things only look like they're just starting to like come under control but let's be real the only country that has a worse death rate than the united states is the united kingdom and that's because they went the extra mile and said we're going to actually pay you 10 quid to go to the plague pubs Mm -hmm. like they actively went we aren't just going to let the disease kill you we are going to take an active hand in making sure that the pores die um (laughs) that should say something this is a disaster of capitalism the same way that like the irish potato famine or the bengali famine were disasters of capitalism like, this, mm. this is a... more people are dead in the u.s than this from yeah. the second world war and like this is not just a disaster like let's not you know go around this like this is like a big reason why so much of the ruling class here is okay with letting so many people so many people die for free market fairy is because of eugenics it is because of genocide like they see it as a way of clearing out as much of the working class as possible and they've actually made money off this like let's not forget the 10 richest men in the world made another half a trillion dollars since covid started i mean this has been good for them 
when we could look at like if we could do the economic calculations of how much money these fu- fucking supervillains have made off of each death and sort of like how much like you know it's just a very simple calculation how much money have they made during the course of this pandemic you know on top of what they normally would have made and how many people have you know and div- and like divide that by how many people have died and you get your answer you get your answer of how much money they think your grandma is worth which comes to about you know a billion dollars for every hundred thousand yeah to get it down to the price of your grandma just you know putting some numbers in here for a minute Uh, $10,000 a month. Your grandma was worth $10,000 to Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And fundamentally... If your you cousin can... was worth $10,000 to Bill Gates. For everyone who, like... Like, there was a statistic I just saw that says something like one-third of all Americans know somebody who has died of COVID. Guess what? For all of you one-third of Americans who have direct like our one degree from this that person you know was worth ten thousand dollars to these people yeah yeah and And that's the ghoulishness of our age (laughs) and personally as a leftist and as a jew who cares about pikuach and the fesh about about life itself i think that this is the the fundamental principle that should guide our society the preservation, the protection, and the affirmation of life. To put a price tag on life itself, 10,000 measly dollars? That is the most horrific shit I have ever heard. Like, they are, like, this is something I've discussed with another friend of mine, but, like, we've talked about how, like, there's this idea of necropower, of how in comparison to, you know, Foucault's uh, biopower, that of controlling you know life itself in order to maintain like you know the system of power and the same way they've done that they've done that with death that's necropower but like we've talked about how you know a lot of these structures of oppression what they do is necropower farming where like this is a clear case of it where uh, they're making ten thousand dollars a head of a dead person who's been fed to the free market fairy that is your yeah. grandma, that is your cousin, that is your students, that is your teacher. Every time you see somebody die of COVID-19, $10,000 right there. $10,000. $10,000 for every rich fucking asshole who does not give a shit about you or anybody you know. Ooh. <sighs> like That's the world we're in. Like, and they don't care that shit is careening towards collapse, so... You know, we keep us safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's are all, you $10,000? Or are you somebody with dignity who will fight back against this oppressive system? Ooh. So, yeah. I think that's it. Yep. Just, you know, hang on tight, because... They are so set in their power, I don't think they realize how fragile it all is. Yeah. We've been talking about Wall Street on the edge of blowing up. We know the real economy is basically dead. The oil sector is reeling. 
they have never been more vulnerable. Yeah. And it's like... I I think a lot of them just think that, oh, we'll just get the vaccine in every arm and then the economy will magically bloom to life again. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't fucking work that way. It just, it doesn't. Like, shit's still gonna be fucked. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's it. So, um, we want to close it out. This has been Shop Shop Economics. You read this shit so you don't have to. Um, Solidarity forever, and we can win. We can build a better world. It just yeah. involves working with each other, organizing with each other. These people aren't as strong as, as, we, as we in the past have thought they are. They are paper tigers, and we have such a close shot of victory right now. We just have to seize it. And I mm. believe in each and every one of us that we can win, not just for ourselves, but for the future of, of our younger siblings, for our children, for our grandchildren, for the entire future of this global civilization and its ecology, we can win. We just have to seize it. Mm. So, yeah. Bye, everyone. Good luck out there. <sighs> Bye.